thank God for this choir that was assembled and these musicians and all of the people who worked the stage, uh, even the backdrop that was created. Um, such a beautiful day and opportunity just to bless God. John chapter 16. What I am about to read to you are the events that took place on what the church calls Monday, Thursday. Or another way of saying it is Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday comes before what we also call Good Friday. And that would be the Friday that Christ would lay down his life and he would die for us on the cross. But before Friday, there was Thursday. There was the upper room Passover or Last Supper, as we like to call it, where Jesus spent time with his disciples, not only sharing the Passover as Hebrew men of God, but he also brought certain significance into that meal about the new covenant. Things that were now being done because of him and the sacrifice that he came to make. He came to earth to make that he was hours away from actually making. And in this upper room discourse that happened on Thursday, he also began to teach the disciples many things. And before he even said some things verbally, he taught them demonstratively. And that is, he began to wash all of their feet as a sign and a symbol of servant leadership, as a way to teach the men how to humble themselves and serve others the way Christ has come, humbling himself to serve the world. And then he began to share various discourses, mainly about the Holy Spirit. Because as he was about to leave them, Jesus wanted them to know that they would not be alone, that they would receive help, they would receive comfort, and the Holy Spirit would not only be with them, but he would be in them. So he began to teach about the coming of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth. How the Holy Spirit will not glorify himself, but he will in fact glorify Christ. And so this is Monday, Thursday, and there are a lot of instructions that Christ is giving the disciples. And John 17 records how he ended that time with a season of prayer. We call it the high priestly prayer, and that is when he began to intercede to the Father on our behalf that the disciples then and now, those who would follow thousands of years later, this number, those of us who are assembled today who know the Lord, Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Now, as he's sharing all of this information, 
as he is not only ministering to their mind, but also showing them how to serve. Um, The concept of a suffering savior did not enter into the minds of the disciples. Because what I'm about to read, he's going to tell them that he's got to leave them. He had already been telling them that he had come on a mission. He had even said as they were coming into Jerusalem for this final time that he was going to be betrayed and he was going to be arrested. He was going to be crucified. He was going to die and he was going to rise again from the dead. But as often as he said that, it still didn't set in their minds, just like there are things the Lord says to us repeatedly and it just doesn't set in. And for them, the concept of Jesus dying, of Jesus suffering, they, they, they weren't hearing that. You know how sometimes we only hear with one ear. We like to hear the things we want to hear. And so we may use the left ear, but the right ear is the stuff I don't want to hear. So I have a way of blocking God out when he says things I may not want to hear. And for them, they didn't want to hear the suffering part because in their mind, And even in their theology, they felt that when Messiah was to come, that he was going to rule and reign right then and there. They felt that Jesus was going to usher in his kingdom on earth right then and there. And technically, Jesus did. He just didn't do it the way that they wanted it to be done. Jesus was ushering in his kingdom through the church until he comes personally at the second coming. But for them, they thought Messiah's reign would begin right there. And so their focus was not on a suffering savior. Their focus was more on thrones as opposed to thorns. They were concerned about sitting on thrones with Jesus because if he's going to reign, we want to make sure that we have this wonderful seat of privilege and priority and prominence. And so that was on their mind, thrones. But Jesus was talking to them about thorns. What was on the mind of these men were crowns. But what was on Christ's mind was a cross. The disciples who didn't have this concept of a suffering savior, they were concerned about their own greatness and not a grave. So when Christ would speak about suffering, when he would speak about thorns and a cross and a grave, those things did not compute with the guys. They were hearing another set of information. But the way Jesus is, he's going to continue to teach. He's going to continue to share. He's going to continue to love them, even as he loves us in our ignorance. And so read with me. As Jesus said on this Thursday in the upper room, John chapter 16, verse 16, reading from the New King James Version, the Bible says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. 
verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I call your attention to verse 20, where Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. So let me talk for a few moments on the subject of don't believe me. Just watch. Don't believe me. Just watch your sorrow will be turned into joy. Don't believe me? Just watch. Father God, we need a word from you. For us, every Sunday is resurrection day because we gather to worship the living Christ, not just on Easter, but every Sunday. As a matter of fact, Lord, you are teaching us that every day is the Lord's day. And every day is a reminder that you are alive and we are alive in you. And because you are alive, as we sang, we are alive and we're still here. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift from you. So none of us here are boasting because we have all sinned and we have fallen so short of your glorious standard of perfection. But thank you that Jesus stood in for us. He measured up when we could not measure up. We thank you for his perfection, his perfect life, how he lived the life that we could not live as lawbreakers. Thank you for his sinless perfection. And thank you that he died for sinful people like us, his life in exchange for ours. Thank you that you are pleased with his sacrifice on our behalf. And now, Lord, because we have accepted Christ, we are accepted in the beloved. We are your sons and your daughters, and we just say thank you, Lord. We preach this gospel to ourselves. This message is not just for lost people who need to be saved. It is for saved people to walk in the freedom that you have made possible. So today, Lord, as the word goes forth, May you heal us. May you free us. May you encourage us. May you comfort us. May you bring conviction where we need conviction. And when it's all said and done, Lord, our eyes will be on you. We lift up our heads 
and we see the king of glory. So, Father God, through the Holy Spirit, we thank you that he is in me. So, Lord, think with my mind and please speak with my mouth. For I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Give your people a word. Amen. The disciples don't know it. Just like many of you don't know it. But the disciples were headed into a season of sorrow. They didn't know it. They thought they were about to cruise into the kingdom as far as the Christ revealing himself and them getting thrones and pomp and pageantry. They, they thought they were going into something great because just a few days ago it was all about Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they are riding shotgun with Christ. And as the glory is upon Christ, they're right there with cups next to the glory. And as the glory comes off of Christ, they're holding their cups because they're enjoying these places of prominence next to Christ. And they don't know that the script is about to be flipped. They don't know that they're about to go into a season of sorrow. They're about to go into a season, as Jesus said, that there's going to be some weeping. There's going to be some lamenting. And a lament is a little different from a weep. That, that's where it's coming from the heart. It's coming from the soul. You can weep and it just comes from your eyes. But when you lament, it's coming from your soul. So much so that now you even may start writing some songs and poems because you're so burdened over what you're crying about because it's so deep in you. Jesus said, you're going to weep. You're going to lament. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be agony. There's going to be pain. There's going to be confusion. You guys are even going to have a lot of questions. You're heading into that season right now and you don't even know it. You think when we leave this upper room after we sing this hymn, you're not thinking about the arrest that's about to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, but you're in for something. As a matter of fact, this season of sorrow is ordained. It's ordained. You, you've got to walk through this season because there are people here today. You're in a season of sorrow. It's Easter Sunday and People are excited. There's joy and exuberance. There's enthusiasm, all kinds of great feelings, and people are dressed nice, and the kids are up here, and you're going to have a big meal after church, and all this stuff is going on around you, but there are people in this room right now. You're not as excited. You're not as enthusiastic. As a matter of fact, you're walking through something right now. Times are sorrowful for you. There are people in this room today who have questions, but you don't have answers. You have questions, and, and God isn't answering your questions, or if he is, he's answering them in a way that you do not understand. Because we see here that these men who walk with Christ in the flesh for three and a half years, they had questions, and there were things they did not understand about Jesus. There were things he said that they did not get. And so welcome to the club. May we not be so foolish and arrogant to think that we know everything that God has to say in the Bible. May we not let seminary uh, uh, cloud our minds and make us think that we know everything about the text. When people who lived in that day when the text was being breathed still had questions themselves. Matter of fact, one of the ways to show that you're wise is to admit that you're foolish at times. 
to admit that you don't know the answer. When's the last time you heard another Christian, yet alone a pastor, say, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't have a word for you. I don't know. But sometimes it shows great wisdom to say, I don't know. As opposed to putting your foot in your mouth, trying to say something that sounds good but isn't right. And so the disciples didn't know what Jesus was saying. And some of you are in a season right now, Lord, what are you saying to me? I don't understand right now. I'm reading the Bible, but it's not making sense to me. And some of you are in a season right now where you haven't seen Jesus in a while. Jesus says, in a little while, you're not going to see me. And some of you are in that season right now where your time with God has been dry. It's been stagnant. It hasn't been fresh. For whatever reason, maybe you're lacking the discipline. You know, as Christians, we are disciplined unto devotion. We're not devoted to discipline, but no, the discipline is to get us somewhere, and that is an intimacy with the Lord. We don't worship discipline, but we worship the one that the discipline uses to get us there. Bible time and scripture memory, prayer time, coming to church, fasting. And you may have been doing all that, but man, you just haven't seen him in a while. I was talking to a lady this past week who after she and her husband got divorced, oh boy, I think it was over 10 years ago, her children have not gone to church because they're upset with God because God allowed mom and dad to get a divorce and mom is trying to fix it for her sons as far as the path of their life because they are disgruntled children and she's tracing it back to their anger because of the divorce and I'm trying to tell mom mom you can't fix that matter of fact what you're children need they don't need you to fix it they need an encounter where they see the Lord again she said they don't go to church anymore they they need an encounter with the Lord and we've got some people in here like that you yeah you're lifting your hand maybe you're you're okay I'll be glad when they finish singing this worship I'll be glad when he finishes preaching that big mouth guy with the white coat on sit down some of you are in that place but hold on I, I got a word of encouragement for you because no matter what place you're in whether you're in a place of sorrow, a place where you don't have answers, a place where you don't know what Jesus is talking about, a place where you haven't seen him in a while, because he is resurrected, you will see him again. Because he is who he said he is, if you don't understand it now, you'll understand it better by and by. You hang on in there. Because once Jesus got arrested, those disciples who didn't know that moment was coming, who didn't even know that Judas was the betrayer, even when he got up and left out, they thought he was handling business. And then to see him show up hours later with a mob behind him carrying torches and lanterns and him kissing Christ on the cheek and them arresting Christ, they didn't understand what was going on in that transaction. Things just broke out to the point Peter just grabbing his knife and doing what he does in the flesh. And it was just mayhem because they didn't understand what he was saying. Not only in the upper room, but years and years of him talking about this hour. And so therefore they fled. They ran. All of them ran. And Jesus even said, you're all going to fall away tonight because of me. And they said, no, Lord, no, Lord. But they all fled and left him alone. Now, Peter did come back and he watched from a distance in the courtyard and 
we know that's when he denied the Lord those three times. And John eventually came back and he stood by the cross of Christ so that Jesus could speak from the cross and say to John, the beloved disciple, take care of my mother. So John came back. But the other nine guys, you know, Judas had gone out and would eventually hang himself. The other nine, they fled. So when Jesus says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the father. There would be a time where they would not see the Lord for a span of three days. Jesus said, you won't see me. So on Thursday night, when Jesus is arrested and they run, listen to this. Nine of them are not going to see Christ again until Christ resurrects and appears to them in the upper room on Sunday evening. So the little while of not seeing Christ is going to be Friday, Saturday, and part of Sunday. And somebody right now is in that season where I just haven't seen him. People talking about how real he is. I just have, I once felt his power. I once felt his joy. I once felt his presence, but <sighs> Again, you hold on. Look at John 16, 22. Jesus said, therefore, you now, you now have sorrow. Jesus didn't try to always put a nice little bow on things, which is kind of that brand of Christianity we're seeing today where, you know, if, if, if there's sorrow, something's wrong with you. But wait a minute. Isaiah 53 says that he was, Jesus, a man of sorrows. And that's why he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because sometimes we go through an infirmity called sorrow. And we have a God who can identify with sorrow because he experienced sorrow. And we have a God who even says right now you are in a season of sorrow. And that was the disciples right now. And you're going to feel sorrowful because I'm going to leave you. For three and a half years, we had virtually fellowship every day, every day, every day, laughing and spending time out on the Sea of Galilee, going from Judea in the south up to Galilee in the north, all the every day, watching miracles, hearing him teach. They had come to love him. And they couldn't picture life without him. But he said, in a little while, you're not going to see me. Because where he had to go, he had to go alone. So I'm here to let you know that the season of sorrow is just as much ordained by God as the season of joy. You ever been around some Christians and they got so much joy? And you're like, man, I feel bad because right now I'm in a season of sorrow. And so then you try to act like you're joyful, which makes it even worse. Because we don't know how to walk with people through sorrow. Because right now in this room, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe it's verse 26. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one part of the body rejoices, we rejoice with that part. So in this room, you got people who are suffering and people who are rejoicing. It's going to be that way all the time. Simultaneous sufferers and simultaneous rejoicers. The question is... Can those of us who are suffering not hate on those who are rejoicing? And can those of us who are rejoicing stop long enough to bear the burdens of those who are in sorrow? That's the body of Christ. We're not all the same. We're not all in the same place. 
but we're all in the same savior. We're all in the same spirit. So Lord, put us in the same mindset because he said, now you have sorrow. And some of you, you have it right now. Your marriage is just not where it is. Your finances are, your health, your children, school, work, whatever. Because life is not all about being on the mountaintop. Sometimes life is lived in the valley. Life is a series for the Christian of deaths and resurrections, of sorrow and joy, of ups and downs. Now, just as we should not try to think we should stay up all the time, neither should we stay down all of the time. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead is alive in us. So weeping may endure for a night or for a season, but joy is going to come in the morning. Because here's what you need to know about seasons. As tough as they can be sometimes. As sorrowful as they can be sometimes. The good thing about seasons is that seasons have to change. (laughs) So you might be in a sorrowful place. You might even be a place of rejoicing. But it's going to change. And it's not going to stay this way all of the time. Because in this life, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus said, because I've overcome the world. So you're going to go through seasons of sorrow and joy and rejoicing and sadness and valleys of death and mountaintop experiences. And sometimes you feel like you're in the desert. Other folk may be in the promised land. They got through the desert. And you're like, oh, man. But just keep walking because sometimes after the promised land, another desert is coming. Then another promised land. After the mountain, there's another valley. After the valley, there's a mountain. This is the stuff of life. And God is enough for all that we go through. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit was the one who led Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit sometimes can lead you into tough places. Where the sulfurous breath of Satan is real in your life. Because when Jesus went out there, Satan was after him, tempting him, trying him. And some of you are in places of darkness right now. Where maybe the hand of the enemy is stronger in your life than even the hand of God. And you may think that God has forgotten about me. No, he hasn't forgotten about you. He's just ordained this season to grow you. So don't despise this moment of sorrow and suffering. Ask God to give you joy. Ask him to show you the lily that's even in the valley. Ask him to be the fourth man that will join you in that dark, fiery furnace. Don't waste the suffering. Get closer to Christ because that's what it's all about anyway. Intimacy. God knows he's got to throw a furnace into my life from time to time. I got to walk through a valley because if I stayed up on the mountaintop, I would drift away from him. But there's nothing like a good trial. There's nothing like a good season of sorrow to draw me close to the Lord. So don't despise it. Embrace it. Because he said to them, now you have it. Now you're in this season. And guess what? Trouble don't last always. Seasons like this don't last always because the resurrector says, Joy is going to come. He says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy. No one will take from you. Why? Because in my presence, there is this fullness of joy. It's going to change. Y'all remember this winter we went through? 
This was the nastiest winter we didn't had in a long time around here. And those of us who come from other parts of the country where we're used to storms and ice, we will walk around putting down the people who grew up here in Middle Tennessee. What y'all whining about one inch of snow? And what y'all, how come y'all can't get to work? How come they shutting down the schools? We're like, man, we don't have salt trucks around here. We don't have, man, we're not prepared because we don't expect the kind of season we just came through. We, we, we get that every now and then. Matter of fact, that season was so rough, it didn't want to leave. Y'all were looking for spring to come. When is spring come? What is the date on the calendar? It was cold. Parents who stuck up in the house with the kids, y'all are watching the news. Snowbird, come on. Snowbird better have some good news for me today. This snowbird say they're out. Parents are like, ah, oh. kids are like, yeah, you got sorrow and rejoicing in the same house. This winter was something. Soon as you think we had turned the corner and, and, the, and the warmth was coming, y'all put your shorts on. Then later that evening, y'all cold as I don't know what. You're like, what happened? Oh, that winter said, I ain't ready to go yet. But here's the hope that you had. As much as we may not have liked the ice and the snow and the cold, we knew something. We knew that this season was going to change eventually. Genesis 8.22, God says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. God says the seasons are going to keep revolving. Yeah, global warming, we should be concerned about things and become green and all of that. But the earth is the Lord's, and he's the one that sets the moon and the stars and the seasons. And God is saying it's going to change. So winter won't stay here, but neither will spring. It won't stay permanently. There's got to be a change. And then Jesus says, the sorrow that you're going through or that you're about to walk into is kind of like a woman who's in labor. Mm, Jesus, you had to go there. Yeah, he went there. Because when a woman is in labor, Jesus says that there are going to be pains that she's going to have especially as she gets closer to the delivery. Because right when it's time to have the delivery, the pains are coming faster, they're sharper. And so Jesus says there's going to be weeping like that when a woman, she's crying, she's lamenting. (laughs) You know, matter of fact, there can be so much anguish in a birthing room that the woman who is about to give birth can turn around and yell at the man who made her pregnant in the first place. Because all kind of emotions and feelings and pain is happening in that season. Oh, my goodness. Some of you brothers remember that. There was a time that brothers sat outside and looked through the window when the baby was born. And brothers passing out cigars. But no, that changed about 15 years ago. They want you in the birthing room to find out what you started. That, you, you, you did this. And some women go through it differently. Some are cool, you know. They say push, and it's like, oh. <laughs> Others of y'all, when they push, it's like, oh. I am told, because I, I know somebody that's been through it a few times. I am told in things that I read, it's the closest to death a woman will come to give birth. And some women have died, especially in certain parts of the world where Medicine and technology is not as advanced. People die giving birth. But Jesus said, 
But once that baby comes, and that baby is even put on her chest, Jesus said she no longer remembers the anguish. So the season changes just like that. From pain, intense agony to joy because whoo, that baby came out. And she can have an episiotomy. I think I said it right, and I know I got kids in here. They can be working on the wife, and she's still having joy because that baby is here. She's not even worried about them sewing and doing all that stuff. Move on, Pastor. Okay, I will. And so she's got joy. Season changed just like that. So Jesus is giving them hope. You're going through a season right now. It's going to be painful. It's going to be tough. And really, it's only a three-day season. You know, yeah, yeah. And you're going to have sorrow. You're going to weep. There's going to be anguish for three. You're going to be hopeless. You're going to have anxiety and doubt and fear for three days. But it's going to change. Not when you see the baby, but when you see the son of God. And you'll forget even what you went through as far as the anguish is concerned. But in order to get to the gain, you had to go through the pain. Today, we want gain, but we don't want pain. Today, we want the mountaintop and all the joy and all the blessings, but we don't want to walk through suffering and leanness and lack. That's where we learn God in the desert, so we know how to act in the promised land. And so that time will come to an end. Could it be that some of you are going through all of this pain and all this sorrow because you're on the precipice of a breakthrough? Could it be that you're close, that God is not wanting to waste this season of sorrow because it's going to change. You just don't know when it's going to change. But to God, it's like three days. Oh, pastor, it's been three years. You know, it's like three days to God. Oh, pastor, oh, my whole life I've been dealing with this handicap, with this uh, abnormality, with this situation. But to God, it's going to change. It's going to turn Psalm 30 verse 11 says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Some of you are saying, I don't think I can ever dance again. I don't think I can just have joy again. You can't do it, but he can turn it. He can turn it around for you. And for those disciples, he turned it around when he walked through that wall and came in that room on Sunday evening and said, peace be unto you. And the Bible says they had joy, but it was also mixed with fear, which means amazement and astonishment and awe. Like that. he's alive. I've been telling you that. And when they see him, there's this mixture of but this joy. Like, yes. And it all changed when they met the resurrected Christ. So in conclusion, like. The disciples, we all go through seasons of sorrow. And if you're in that season right now, be encouraged because it was ordained for you. If you're not in that season, be encouraged. Rejoice for where you are. But another season of sorrow is going to come. We live in a fallen world with fallen people and fallen systems. Sorrow is bound to happen. But we can always be of good cheer because we know who the overcomer is. And if he can defeat death, he can overcome any situation through us if we let him. This season won't last always. Seasons must change. If you don't believe me, 
Just watch. You see, one proof, just one proof. Oh, you're going to love this. One proof that Jesus is risen is that he answers the prayers of his disciples. One proof that he's risen is that he answers prayer because if he's not risen, which means he's dead, your prayers and my prayers won't get answered. But because he is risen and he is alive, he does sit at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us even as we intercede to the Father in his name. Prayers get answered and that's a sign that we have a relationship with God, that we're his sons and daughters. When the Father grants to us the things that we're asking him, and that's why Jesus said in John 16, verse 23 through 24, and in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Your joy is going to be full because I will be in your presence and you will be in my presence. But your joy, disciples, will also get full when you try this thing called prayer to the Father in my name. Because while I was walking with you for three and a half years, that's not how you interacted with the Father. But now I'm showing you how to do it. You talk to him in my name. And when you ask in my name, and if it be according to my will, I will give it to you. And you will have joy. And you will know that I am alive and well and I am resurrected. I am the righteous one. So when our prayers get answered, it's proof that he is alive. Oh, my God. Let's make it real, real practical. Three weeks ago. I shared with you about our dire financial situation as a church. And after I shared this information, I asked all of you to pray. For those who may be here with us, we had a repair job that went on here at the church where we had to redo the balcony. We put in some lights and we got sound systems and things like that. And phase one cost 58000 $81. Our payment that we made, which came from our savings, was 35000 A lot of building projects go over. That building project went over. And so we had a remaining debt of $23,081. And this was during a time where even our giving was fluctuating. It was going down. And so on March the 22nd, I preached a message about how Jesus is our Savior. He's a situational savior. No matter what situation you find yourself in, he'll save you out of if you call out to him. He just doesn't save your soul. He'll save your life. He's just not about taking you to heaven. He's about giving you heaven and abundant life here. And so he's present with us. We can cry out to him as Peter even cried out when he was sinking. He said, Lord, save me. And so we ended that service, if you remember, on March the 22nd, saying, let's pray this way. Let's pray personally. Lord, save me. Save me from my anger, my fear, my resentment, my unforgiveness. Save me from the besetting sins of lust and whatever. Save me. And so we broke up into small groups and we had prayer in this house because this is a house of prayer because our God is alive. He loves us and he listens. He knows what we need before we ask, but the asking increases the intimacy between us and him. Then I said, now pray, save him. Because the disciples saw Peter going down and hopefully they yelled from the boat, Lord, save him. So we said, let's intercede for other folk in our families. And I want to let you know that the person that I prayed for, this person and I connected the next day. 
And what was not right was made right. And I just celebrated God that he heard my cry. I was weeping in my prayer group over this situation. But then thirdly, we said, uh, pray, save us. Because I said strong towers taken in a lot of water. I'm embarrassed to say, but man, we're in debt. Our money is funny and our change is strange. You need to pray for us as a church. This is our burden, not just the pastors or the elders. This is our burden. The Lord gave us this stewardship. And so we started praying. And then as my brother, Pastor Darrell, does in a spontaneous way, he gets up at the end of the service and says, let's take an offering right now. And you brought at the spur of the moment $2,366. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who gave, who helped us get that debt down. And so our remaining debt moved to $20,715. And then last Sunday, March the 29th, more of you gave and we didn't even ask, but you gave and some people gave online and we received another $2,405. So thank you, Strong Tower. That brought our debt down to $18,310. Well, I stand here today on Easter Sunday, April 5th, 2015, saying that God heard our prayers. He heard our cries and he provided enough money from this congregation between Monday of this week and Thursday of this week to pay off our $18,310 debt. We owe zero for phase one. In a matter of four days, $18,000 from you, from God, to meet that need. So, Strong Tower, God is saying, if you don't believe me, just watch. I can take care of you. If you don't believe, just watch. Well, God not only provided enough money to pay off our debt, but he also provided enough money for us to pay for phase two's new carpet, new chairs, and new staging. So over a three-week span, the resurrector provided $80,000, Over three weeks, he provided $80,000 for Strong Tower Bible Church from the people of God to finish not only phase one, but also phase two. I don't know if you heard me. He provided $80,000. So God is saying all of us, if you don't believe me, just watch. If you don't believe that, just watch. Watch me take your meager offering, your mites. Watch me take it and multiply it and open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you don't even have room enough to receive. Watch me do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine. Watch me 
in 2015, take two fish and five loaves of bread and multiply it into $80,000. Watch me take 180 gallons of wash water and turn it into the best wine anyone has ever tasted. Watch me take my last breath on Friday only to get up on Sunday because I am the resurrection and the life. And if he can do that, surely he can turn your sorrow into joy. If you don't believe him, just watch. Watch him. Get your eyes off of the thing. Get your eyes off of the debt, off of the problem. Get your eyes on me and watch me come through. And when I come through, I get all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen.